when I was nine years old, we were sent from the city to the village. The villages in Kenya is a place where you don't find a lot of resources. So moving from the city where I had almost everything that I needed, going to a good school, having breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and having nice clothes, and of course, good friends. And then you go to the village where there are not many resources. 99% of the kids didn't have shoes growing up and not nice clothes. So it was quite a shift for me. So I knew that I needed to get out of that place. And my mom and my brothers and sisters we didn't have the means. I knew that at some point I need to find a way to get out. And my mother, when I was in fifth grade, she sat me down and she said, Isaac, you're very good with books and you're, you're smart in school. If only you can stick in school and do well, you might be the person who is going to go to high school, go to college, get a job and come back and save us from this environment. And she said that I don't know how to read and write. She had never been to school. And she said, I've had people say that education is the key to success. So if you get good education, most likely you're going to have a good lifestyle. So I knew then that my key to get out of that environment was to do well in school. In a corporate world where all employees have great leaders with no egos that create fun cultures where people can do their best work, the employees and companies thrive while doing great things for the customers themselves, and each other. Well, we know that rarely happens. I'm Jeff Palaccio. I have been a leader for over 40 years for every t-shirt-sized company, from small 16 employees to extra-large over 1 million. Please join me while I interview outstanding leaders that will share stories of great leadership and not-so-great. It will help you become a better leader while poking fun at all the crazy shit that happens in corporate America. This is part two of Jeff's conversation with Isaac Wambua on the corporate couch. You'll be sure to want to listen to part one, but now let's listen as Isaac discusses his career and his unique motivation. You're motivated by money in this because you have such a sense of obligation to your family and giving back to them and supporting your mom who did some unbelievable things to support you and your uh, six uh, siblings. You know, it, to me, it's hard to make that decision. Like you're going to quit a job that you're getting paycheck every two weeks and say, hey, and I'm supposed to keep a job for, I'll say, at least two years, right? Like you said. But yeah. where did you get that sense of, you know, I need to do something else? Yeah. So one of the things I did because of the obligation and also a decision that I made to, to help my family was to delay most of the things that I needed to do. I needed to start a family, have a nice apartment, have a nice car. So I delayed all these things so I can help my family. And I knew it was going to be just for a short while. I have two younger brothers, two older sisters and two, and two older brothers. And I knew if I get them set up so they can have their own jobs and th then, then they, I'll, I'll have the freedom to do my own things. So I took my two young brothers through high school and college. I, I sponsored my brother to start a business. I helped my sister, sisters to get all set up. So the motivation was uh, if, if I just hustle enough, because I, Really, I never had one job for many years. I had like three, four jobs. So that's why I could quit one, my major job to go to another one because I had a sales job on the side. I was selling, all, I mean, I've sold tons of stuff, you know, supplements and, you know, phones. Or, or, yeah, so I had different jobs on the side. At some point I was delivering newspapers in um, 20, 2011, 2012, 
delivering newspapers at night. That gave me a little bit of money as well. Um, so I was able to take care of the things that I needed to do with my family just by these side jobs. But I knew that I need to build my career. I needed to move fast to identify the thing that makes me happy, the career path that I want to take. That why, that's why I was really comfortable to quit that one job and go to another one because I had some kind of a backup. Yeah, incredible. You were doing the side hustle uh, mm-hmm. thing before it even became a term. Uh, so, mm-hmm. yeah. So you picked uh, Maxwell's leadership program. Uh, John Maxwell, obviously a legend in the leadership space. What, what drew you to that program? And tell, and tell us a little bit about it. Yeah. So I had read John Maxwell's books. Um, actually, the first one that I read, I was still in Kenya. And um, it's called The Winning Attitude and made a difference. But I didn't know who he was. And then I came to the U.S., um, got to know about him. But in 20, 2014, uh, it was early 2015, I was, um, I was experimenting with speaking here and there. So I was speaking at a youth conference, and I was the speaker before the main speaker. And so I spoke, and according to them, I did well. And the main speaker spoke, and I came to learn the main speaker was a guy who was very successful. He's a millionaire. He was head of a company here in Overland Park. And um, after the... The speaking, we sat down having lunch together and he said, Isaac, you have a gift. And actually, he's the first person in the U.S. who said, Isaac, you need to pursue this. I think you're, you're really good at this. And he said, you need a certification because you're an engineer. People don't know who you are. So a certification might help. And he recommended the Maxwell, uh, John Maxwell team um, certification. So he's the one who recommended that. And actually, he paid half of the certification fee for me and I paid the other the other half. Uh, but when I got into the Maxwell certification, I figured it's a great program with great mentors. So and that's why I've say, I stayed all this time. And now I'm a part of the executive leadership team uh, just in that particular organization. Um, and it has gone through a lot of you know, transitions just to improve the program. So that's how I got into it. Wow, phenomenal. What, a, what great advice and a common theme amongst all the uh, leaders I interview is everybody has people that have helped them along the way, but just, yeah, that's incredible. Um, and so uh, what's it like working for Maxwell? Like, what are you doing day to day with clients? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so my business, if I can just uh, highlight this a little bit, my business has three lanes. There is the business consulting and coaching we do those together and we help small to medium-sized companies to streamline their processes and systems to increase efficiency, productivity, make money, attract and retain employees. The same thing that I did with uh, this engineering company. So that's just, it draws from my industrial engineering experience and of course, more experience that I've gained over the years. And then the second lane is the training and we train middle managers, supervisors, team leaders, managers, junior executives, and we coach on management, leadership, communication, and within communication, we also train on uh, DEI, the diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And um, and then the third lane of the business is the speaking that I speak myself. So I get hired to speak for corporations at the events, at conferences, um, both locally, nationally, internationally as well. So my day-to-day is taking care of my clients and I have a team, a small team of people now and I have someone in the team who is leading the consulting and coaching side. So that has freed my time to do more speaking and training. So my typical day, you know, again, I have a family, two kids and a wife and drop off my daughter at school around 8.30. Then my day starts around nine o'clock. And so the day, some days I'm meeting with clients, others I'm having a conversation with someone like you. 
uh, or doing presentations. So it's never the same, but um, it, it's a very interesting kind of a job to have because I never do the same thing. But everything is geared again towards helping people, especially business owners and leaders, to improve performance within the teams that they lead. So again, they can help the company make more money. And it, I know I talk about money a lot, but that's not the driver. The point is money is a resource. When they have enough money, they can pay their people well, they can retain them, get them some good benefits, especially healthcare coverage, and then also make an, an, a difference in the, in the communities that they, they operate within. So that's usually my typical day, really. A lot of talking, that's what I say, but uh, people are willing to pay for it. Incredible. So did you do any formal uh, public speaking training and, and and what was that like? Yes, I've gone through formal public speaking training through different programs. The main one that has, I still go through that. So within the Maxwell leadership, we have the speaking lane, we have the coaching lane, we have the business development or training lane. So within the speaking lane, there's um, a very highly skilled and highly experienced person called Roddy. He's in charge of that. And he's my mentor. So I'm in the mentorship program. So I went through Roddy's training and, and I still go through that, but also through other platforms as well. Yes, because when you think about speaking, it's... Um, it's a skill like any other, you know, like driving, whereby you want to be a safe driver. You also want to enjoy driving. And uh, you, if you have people in your car, you want to give them a, a good experience. So speaking is not about just getting on stage and looking, you know, nice and fancy and people applauding you. What I've found is that speaking is about using my voice to inspire people and empower them, taking them, them through a journey, transferring information and experience that I have, but at the same time to make sure that they are enjoying the experience. And that's the that, that, that's the most important thing for me. So tell me the first time you got paid to speak in front of the group, how many people were in the audience? Okay, so uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you two examples. So the first one, I was, uh, I was 10 years old, nine and a half, almost 10 years old, and I was in Kenya. So we grew up in church. My mom took us to church, which I'm, I'm really grateful for that. It shaped me and who I am. Um, so when I was nine, nine and a half years old, we had a bishop come in town and our church was a small one and the place was all cleaned up and we all got ready. It was around Christmas time. And I was one of the kids that was given a few Bible verses to recite in front of the, of, of the congregation. So um, a time came and we were in a small room and we were supposed to get on stage. I had a few kids ahead of me. And when my time came, I froze. I couldn't really move. And at some point they got tired of me and they pushed me to the stage and when I got on stage, I froze. I couldn't even speak. I couldn't, I forgot my lines. And somehow after about 30, 45 seconds, which felt like really 30 minutes, I remembered my lines and I started speaking and reciting the verses. And I, as I did it, my, my volume went up and up and up. And looking back, people thought I was passionate about my speaking, but I was just scared. I didn't even know that my voice was going up. And when I was done, I ran out, out, out of the stage and at the end of the service, the bishop came to me. Actually, he asked for me and he said, I would like to talk to that boy who spoke with, that, with a lot of passion. And he gave me five shillings, which, which is an equivalent of a penny. Um, he gave me, uh, yeah, yeah, a penny actually. So he gave me five shillings and he said, okay, go and get yourself a Christmas gift, which was basically candy for me and my friends. So that was my first speaking engagement because uh, what happened, my mother told me, okay, just give me the money. I'll keep it for you so you don't lose it but she, ne she never gave me the money back. So the, so my first manager was my mother who embezzled my funds. <laughs> <laughs> and then the second one that I was um, in front of a, a big audience was in 20, 2017. It was in front of uh, 6,500. 
and I was paid good money, 10,000 to be, to be on stage. Um, of course, being my first time being on a big stage and beyond that, the pressure, because when someone hires you, they expect you to perform it, there was a lot of pressure, but, um, you know, I, I hope, I believe I did a good job because after that they hired me again and again. So 2017 was my first time that I got in front of 6,500 people. Wow. Incredible. And, and that, that public speaking coaching is just part of the Maxwell program. Oh yeah, it is. Incredible. So uh, what led you to, uh, you just published your first, first book in mm -hmm. uh, November. What led you to write, write a, a book? Yeah. So my, 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 my purpose in life, which I've shared a little bit of it, is to inspire and empower people. And when it comes to inspiring people is showing them what's possible for them, who they can become, what they can do, what they can have, the kind of professionals, professionals they can become. And then empowering them is giving them the tools and the resources to get there. Now, going back to my first job as an assistant production manager, I wish someone trained me and coached me on how to become a good manager and a good leader. I wish someone gave me the resources and if not anything else told me the truth that just because you, are a, you have a degree doesn't make you a leader. And then through my journey working with different companies and my clients, uh, what I've seen is that middle managers, which again, I did that for 12 years, somehow get, get ignored most of the times. So you find when you hire new employees, we take them through their onboarding, then the initial training. Then after that, the only other group that gets a lot of attention is the executive team. They go to retreats and vacations and all kinds of stuff. But the middle management, management people get ignored. So I decided to write this book as a resource to help middle managers to, to learn how to build high-performing teams. And it talks about how to understand their positions to know that as a middle manager, you are not helpless. You have so much power because you are influencing the productivity in the company. That means you can lead up to the top management and you can lead down and right across. So it just expounds on who they are, but again, different things on how to interview people, how to get committed, how to build a psychologically safe environment for your people, all the way on how to have a positive discipline discussion. So it's basically a blueprint for middle managers but also senior managers can use it um, as well. So what prompted me to really, really want to write that book was to provide that resource, but also to amplify my message out there because I can't be everywhere. Yes, I have the clients that I work with, I get to speak, but if I want to help as many people as possible, I felt the book would be a good resource to do that. Yeah, that's great. I mean, what a uh, great accomplishment to uh, have a book published. Uh, what was your uh, writing process and how long did it take you to write the book? Yeah, it took me about 11 to 12 months to get it all done. And this was a relatively easy book for me to write because it's, it's the first one. All these ideas that I've had since when I had a job, um, I, I had just to sift through and, and looking at, okay, what's the most important thing? So I went through all the notes that I had and then went through some kind of research to make sure that the information is up to date and modern. So it took me about 11 months to write that book. And one particular concept that came to my mind when I was working in engineering, and if I go back to that company, I can show you where I got that idea. It was about how dreams get killed by managers. Someone walks in, they get hired, and then they say, I have this, this cool idea. And the manager says, no, we don't do that. We don't change things around here. So I wrote down and I said, don't kill people's dreams. And if we go back to where I was, I was around the reception place. I can show you where I was when I wrote that particular note. And I had it in my Google Drive. So um, it was a relatively easy process for me to write. But now for the second one, I'm doing a, a research for the second book. This might take a while to publish it. Uh, what's the topic of the second book going to be? 
I'm not going to tell you, but I'll, I'll tell you the, <laughs> the premise of it. The second book is all about um, drawing power from within yourself, which again, I can tell you a story about that. Um, from when I was in sixth grade, I had a mechanical bike and it used something we call the dynamo, which is a little gadget that gets attached to the tire of a, of a bicycle. And as you pedal, as the tire moves, it produces uh, internal power that's, and, and it's connected to a headlight, so it produces light. So it's called the dynamo. And that's why I call my business the dynamo methods. And it's all about drawing power from within. And for individuals, professionals like you and me, what I teach people is that the answers are always within yourself. You have the ability to ask for what you want, to develop yourself, become someone different. If it's a company, they have the power and resources within themselves to develop their people, to promote them from within, to make more money if that's that's their goal, or even to increase the market share. So the it's going to be more about drawing power from within yourself, and I'm still working on the title, but that's the premise of it. Yeah, I love it. And I actually thought the name of your company... Uh dynamo method because you're a dynamo but now i know the real (laughs) real uh, purpose uh you're you're very busy while writing this book obviously with your business so what uh what was your uh, writing process when did you write yeah i wrote early in the morning and also uh, during the day i like working if if i'm if i'm not, not spending time with my family i'm really working so i decided to be intentional about taking breaks during during the day um, so during the day, I'll spend about 30 minutes just going through some ideas, not necessarily writing, but brainstorming ideas. And then early in the morning when I wake up, which I usually wake up at 4.15 in the morning, I'll take about an hour and a half just to write. So I wrote this um, in, in, the, in the mornings, but also in um, December, November, December of 2021, I traveled to Kenya and I was there for six weeks. And um, since again, I wake up very early, I had all the time to write. So I did most of the writing when I was in Kenya for those six weeks. Yes. Yeah, so wow. You get up at uh, 4.15 every day. Uh, yeah. I, know you, I know you ran track in high school. So you, you have a fitness uh, regime today? I, I do, uh, which again has been disrupted a lot because of my two kids. I have uh, my daughter is three years old and my son just turned one year last week, but one. Yeah. So I... I have a workout regimen every other day to go to the gym. If it's cold, like like right now, I don't like cold, so I don't run outside. But when it warms up a little bit, I like to run in the morning just for about three to four miles. And then on Saturday, I'll run for about five to six miles. Uh, I know you were a sprinter too. So you do any uh, sprints currently? No, I haven't done sprints in a long time. So my sprinting, I did that in high school and, and college just for competition and um, we have a huge Kenyan community here in Kansas City. So there's a time before COVID, we would, we would get together every summertime just to enjoy food and music. And then we'll do some kind of games, racing and, and sprinting being one of them. So those used to be my favorite times because it gave me a chance to compete and also get to know where I'm at. But I haven't done the sprinting in a long time. Yeah, maybe I should get back to it. Yeah, I love it. Um, so what, what's your favorite part about your business today and in terms of your clients, you know, what's kind of the ideal client for you to be able to help? Yeah. So with, um, with the coaching and consulting, like I said, we, we, I have someone who's leading that segment of the business. We are still working with small, medium sized companies. So 50 or less employees, those are usually very ideal for us. The main focus right now is on the training and the speaking side. And, um, my favorite part of dealing with my clients especially on the speaking and training side is being able to 
do what I call one to many, where I have a team of executives or leaders in a room, and then I I ask them questions. What is it that you want to accomplish for your company and for your team? Basically, they're sharing their dreams, which uh, those are company dreams, but, but they also share their own personal dreams. So my favorite piece is being able to take their personal goals and dreams and uh, help them to align them with the company goals. And when we align them, then we can move towards where we want to go. And that makes it easy to work together. But the second piece that's really interesting for me, and I love it, is watching them start accomplishing what they thought was not possible. Because we all have some mental blocks. We think, okay, that's way too big, or I'm not capable, I'm not strong enough. We don't have the manpower, we don't have the skills. So being able to see the potential in the company and the people that are working in that company, and then starting to work towards their goals, and then they start getting some kind of success. You can see you know, a glow on their face and, and starting to believe in themselves. That's the most important thing for me because even after I stop working with them, because I don't work with you know companies indefinitely, even after I leave, then they'll still be able to drive it because now they know there's power from within themselves. They know they can do it. They don't have to have a coach like me. The coach is there to guide them, but not to do it for them. So it's all about inspiring them, believing in them, walking through the journey, and then stepping back so they can take the reins of leading the company. Yeah, that's phenomenal. So uh, in Dynamo Method, you're kind of in the early stage of your uh your journey, your corporate journey. What are, what are you focusing on right now as the, the leader, the yeah. CEO? So my main focus right now is on a, a segment that's very kind of sensitive, rel- relatively sensitive, especially here in the US, and that's the DEI, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and there's a B, belonging, and, and it keeps on changing. But the main basics is the DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion. And in our company, that falls under communication. And I know some people have it as a separate segment, So the main focus is, number one, to educate leaders and executives and business owners to know that DEI is not necessarily a monster that that you should be afraid of. It's it's an opportunity to have a discussion. DEI has been there for many, many years. It's only that right now we are shedding a lot of light on it and there's a lot of outcry. Different groups are demanding that and there's nothing wrong with that. So we are showing them that it's, it's nothing new. When we do that, it helps them to relax and not to get all frazzled uh, because when you are relaxed, you are likely to, to perform well. But the second piece is also to train on DEI. We have a fully developed program. It's SHRAM certified program. There's a workshop, there's a mastermind, there's a coaching segment of it. And I also have a one hour speaking on, on DEI. Um, so we are, we are training on that. But also for small companies, we are helping them to develop their own DEI program. So that's the main focus. And I feel the market is huge, but people are so confused and worried. I mean, they're shying away from having that discussion. And I feel because I've been trained and I've been certified in this, I've been you know, working with clients and organizations about to facilitate this discussion, I feel that I have a professional obligation to get out there and help as many leaders as possible with this. So that's our main focus for uh, for this year. Uh, in addition to the clients that we have in the consulting side and also my 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 speaking brand, actually I'm getting asked to speak about this a lot. So it's kind of the speaking and the training they are going together. Phenomenal. Um, so um, I'd like to uh, I address two different groups of people uh, with every guest just to help them. One is a recent college graduate. They're going to graduate uh, in May of the coming year. What advice do you have for a recent college graduate to get a great job? Yeah. So if they're looking into getting a great job um, or even starting a business, it doesn't matter. 
they need to work on themselves if they haven't started yet. Now, college education is good, the academics, they're good, but sometimes they are too theoretical, okay? But they are designed to do that. They, they give you information, uh, but most of the times they don't translate that information to show you how you can use it in the workplace. But one of the things they can do is to start developing them, themselves. They need to have self-awareness to know what their natural strengths are and natural abilities. What are some of the things they do that make them happy? That, that means they're trying to identify their passions, but also they need to, to learn how to communicate very well, to be very articulate on what they want, to be able to express themselves within a very short time because people are becoming very impatient. If someone asks you, ask me, you know, Isaac, what do you want? Um, most likely if I ask you, Jeff, you know what you want. You know what you want this week, next week, next year. And it doesn't mean that's all you want for the rest of your life, but you should know what you want at the time that you want it. So being able to express themselves and what that does, it gives them confidence. And you know, confidence is not everything, but it opens a lot of doors for you. So when they walk in, they can exude that confidence without being, you know, coming out as, as if they are being arrogant. Basically, they need to work on themselves. The second thing, they need to build their network. They need to know who is who in the industry that they want to get into. And one of the best places is, is not just to network within colleges or with your professors. They need to step into the business world. You and I, we belong to different organizations here in Kansas City and potentially nationally as well. And it's easy to, to, to participate virtually and also in person. You need to show up and get to talk to executives like you and say, Jeff, what has been your biggest lesson in the industry? Ask questions, get to know people, tell them what they are doing, uh, what they are looking for. They say, I'm looking for a job in this industry. They are likely to get connected you know, that easily. And it's not because they are not qualified, but people do business with those that they know, like, or trust. So developing themselves and also building a network, those two things are going to solve them very well. Yeah, oh, excellent advice. I love it. Um, the second question I ask, and you're going to be an expert on this based on your first job out of college uh, leading a group of 65 people, but the second question I ask every guest is, what advice would you have if somebody that's an individual contributor gets promoted to manager and now they're a first-time leader of people, they have direct reports? What's your main advice to that group? My main advice is that they need to be, to be a leader today. They, they don't have to have a position and, and a leadership. And this is something that I've learned over the years. It's not about the title. It's about being able to influence people to do the things that they are supposed to do anyway. That means they don't have to muscle anyone out. So even if they are just individual contributor, number one, they need to lead themselves. Self-leadership needs to be key. So they show up on time. They are organized. They do their job and not just the average way. They need to be exceptional in their jobs without necessarily stressing themselves out. You know, in America, and I believe in every part of the world, it's easy to be exceptional because the targets and the expectations that are set, they're usually very average. And I don't think anyone who really wants to be successful should be average. So self-leadership is key, but also developing themselves and being able to speak up in a professional and respectful way, speaking up in the sense of sharing what they're learning. If they are reading a book, they show up to meetings or, you know, when they are with their bosses or their colleagues, they can share the concepts that they are learning. And what happens is that people start seeing them differently. They see them as a resource. They see them as someone who's developing themselves. By the way, that's very attractive to the employers. That's very attractive to the, to the bosses. And that's attractive to the world. So developing themselves, reading books, um, listening to podcasts, being able to go to YouTube and, and become an expert in their industry, become a subject matter expert in their industry, but also be able to express and share the information and the experience that they have. 
that's going to help them big time. They really don't have to fight to get a promotion because if someone is going to know them, you know, I had this discussion with a young group uh, of people here in town on the 25th of January, and they were asking similar questions. And I said, when you're a great performer and you have a good attitude and you're sharing the information that you have and helping others, everyone in the company is going to know about you, including the CEO. You don't have to fight for it because if you are in a department that was struggling or at least giving average results and now because of your attitude and the way you are helping the performance goes up or the retention is there, they are going to get curious. You know, executives talk about employees all the time and the, and the divisions and departments. They are going to ask what's going on in that department and your name is going to come up. So the CEO, the executives, the owners, they are going to know about you and that's how you get a promotion. And if not anything else, you you know, you get to be recognized for, uh, for for your contribution in the company. Yes, so many good pieces of advice in that. I teach a class at KU, University of Kansas, and I tell the students or any recent college graduate that connects with me, I just say, you know, your learning is just beginning once you leave the hallowed halls of KU. So, and then there's a great six and a half minute TED Talk by Drew Dudley, about lollipop moments that, you know, everyone's a leader that I play uh, to various groups that it's applicable to. So thank you so much, Isaac. You're, uh, Kansas City is blessed to have someone like you in our community. And uh, I'm grateful that we've met. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. Um, thank you for having me. And I'm blessed to have this conversation with you and um, looking forward to stay in touch with you. God bless. Absolutely. Take care. Have a great day. Well, it was great to interview Isaac as he's our first internationally born guest uh, being born in uh, Kenya. The big thing I took out of it, having lost my dad about 10 years old, was just conversation he had with his mother when he was in fifth grade about, you know, he needed to go to school. He could be the first one to save the family. And I'm thinking, geez, the fifth grade, you're 10 and 11 years old, and you're hearing this conversation from your mom, who obviously you love and admire, and just the pressure that could bring upon a, a young kid. And just it obviously was a, you know, molded him to the, you know, what he is today. Joe, what did you take away from the episode? It was very much the same kind of thing. One of the things that it always makes me appreciate when I hear interviews like this or hear people talking like this is what we have in America. You know, now, when I grew up, we were dirt poor. But when he grew up, he said 90% of the children in the school that he went to school with did not own shoes. His mother literally never went to school and could not read or write, you know. Right. And uh, I can't compare to anything like that, I, you know. So I think every generation needs to look backwards one generation or one story like that to appreciate how much you had available, how much resources you had available to you um, when you were in your developmental stage. Uh, because he had virtually none, but he took advantage of everyone that he had. And then another thing later in his career, we're always taught to stay at a job, especially your first job, stay at your first job for at least three years or something like that, because it looks bad on your resume if, you, if your resume looks like you've bounced around a lot. He literally broke that rule several times uh, when, like when he went to, was it Taco Bell or whatever? Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. It was like, 
he would think based on his background or his, or his upbringing and the, the, you know, basically the poverty uh, that he experienced as a family that he would want security, but he had a lot of courage to just up and quit jobs. Right, right. To take that risk and to move forward. And remember that early in his career, his primary motivation was make as much money as he can to do what? To help his family. To, yeah. That's what he had to do. And he didn't care what industry he was in. He said, I became an engineer just because it was available. You know, he was I, good at math. I, I could have done, he could have done anything. Right. Um, so he broke the rules. And I think the story about that is that it's okay to break these rules. You have to do what is important in your own life. And he certainly illustrated that. Yeah, exactly. So uh, based on Isaac's uh, background and his upbringing and, and the episode, what, what leadership advice do you have? Well, I'm going back to uh, our favorite philosopher, Dr. Sheldon Cooper, who one time said, a while back, YouTube changed its user interface from a star-based rating system to a thumbs-up rating system. And I tell people I'm okay with that, but I'm really not. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Corporate Couch. If you enjoy the podcast, I would love for you to take two minutes out of your day to rate us five stars and write a review. Please join me next week to learn from another great leader sharing their professional journey and insights.